Welcome to your new favorite podcast, OMLS, with your host, Aryaman Varma. Here, Aryaman chats with religious leaders, economists, and modern philosophers to help shine a light on the dark corners of economics and religion. So without any further ado, let's kick off this episode. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of OMLAS. Today, we have a very special guest with us, an author whose imaginative storytelling has captured the hearts and minds of readers worldwide. He's known for his gripping narratives and seamlessly blend mythology, history, and fiction. Joining us today is none other than the acclaimed author, Amish Tapathi. Could you share your personal journey and background and how that has led you to where you now are? I've, I've had uh, four careers in one life. Uh, so I did my MBA from IIM Calcutta, Indian Institute of Management Calcutta, and uh, I joined banking post that. So I was a banker for uh, 14 years. My last job was uh, at a senior management uh, committee level. I wrote my first two books along with my job. Um, to my surprise, uh, my first book took off and the second book also did well. So I realized it's not a fluke. Sure. And I resigned from my job uh, uh, once my royalty check became more than my salary. <laughs> I was a full, so that was around 2011. So I've been a full-time author since then. In 2019, I got, uh, I was invited by the government, by the Indian government to be a diplomat for them as a lateral hire, as a political appointee. So I have been a diplomat for the last four years. And I also host uh, documentaries for channels like uh, Discovery TV. Four careers. It's been an interesting life. And what what actually uh, motivated you to write those two books when you were also working at the same time? Why did you Why did you want to write those two books? Uh, look, it began as a pure philosophy thesis. I didn't really know where it would go. I was writing for myself, um, and uh, look, I mean, if you if you have something which kind of grabs your soul and uh, makes you happy, then you should just do it, right? I mean, Sure. Not about the money. Sure. Um, so I was writing for myself. I didn't really think about where it would go. Um, of course. So, yeah. Perhaps that's the that's the best motivation to have to do something when you're not uh, you know trying to make money off it or get fame off it. You just do it because you love it. Yeah, of course. It was. It, it, it's your passion. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, one has to be practical. I, I don't. I don't have. Uh, uh, you know, the bank of mommy and daddy to fall back on. So I kept the job to make sure that, uh, um, uh, all the bills get paid. But, uh, this was uh, my passion and I was just following it. Sure. And, um, when you're writing these amazing books, where and how do you find inspiration for these books? Uh, Look, part of it is having all the, because I write uh, books that are based on Indian traditions and uh, history. So part of it is the research. I read a lot. I read at least five, six books per month on average. I've been reading at that pace for decades. Uh, I always suggest to all writers, if you want to be a good writer first, you should be a good reader. Of course. So that's one part. That's the knowledge. But how that knowledge converts into a fiction story. Look, that uh, that very few writers can explain where it comes from. I can't explain it either. I genuinely believe it's a blessing from God, from Lord Shiva, 
of course but i can't explain it it just comes man i open the laptop and it just comes of course and um you're clearly a deep practicing hindu so what about hinduism resonates with you and how does this relationship affect your daily life uh look i have respect for uh, all religions uh, in the world and all of them have their strengths and their areas of improvement um but uh, look the the core defining feature of uh, the abrahamic religions mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, judaism christianity and islam the core defining feature is faith you must have faith uh, in god sure the core defining feature of the dharmic religions which is hinduism buddhism and jainism uh it's not faith it's wisdom yeah um you can have faith or you can not have faith it doesn't matter you can be an atheist and still be a hindu or a buddhist or jain it doesn't faith is 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 like a personal choice what is common among the dharmic religions uh is uh, the practice of trying to find wisdom and live uh, a wise life i find that more inspiring than faith i'm not saying faith is a wrong choice you know it works for for many works for billions uh but the dharmic way is more about uh, wisdom right. i find that inspiring right 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 and why was it lord shiva as the central figure in your first set of books why lord shiva look the uh, central philosophy at the heart of my books is uh, an exploration into this philosophy that what is evil um and uh, who better than uh, uh, to be the hero for the book than the god who is the destroyer of evil himself lord shiva sure um but also as one of my younger readers had said lord shiva is uh, you know is is the dude of the gods uh, he is you know even in the traditional indian pantheon not just in my books he uh, he's uh, he kind of exists outside of polite society uh, you know he's he's the he's the god of the rule breakers he's the originator and he has so many contradictions right he's the originator of yoga of course uh, but he's also you know uh, 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 well i mean there are stories where you know he would uh, for example smoke marijuana right yeah of course uh, then uh, he is uh, obsessively in love with his wife preacher is an equal yeah he has uh, he loses his temper very quickly but calms down very easily as well sure he's the originator of the vedas of of the core knowledge systems of uh, of uh, of hinduism but uh, he's also the kind of god who doesn't differentiate between anyone between the high born and the low born between men and women yeah you know it's said that even even outsiders people who are you know completely outside of society lord shiva will bless all of them you know he is all inclusive in that way I, he dances brilliantly he's the lord of music he's the lord of dance yeah he's a very exciting god yeah yeah it's very fun god <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so you mentioned the uh, the problem of evil uh, yeah. and so what do, what does hinduism have to say um about the problem of evil why is there so much suffering what's the reasoning behind it 
So Hinduism, uh, in fact, all the Dharmic religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, um, first of all, uh, they they don't say that uh, gods are that the gods are all knowing, all powerful, uh, and all merciful. Because if that is true, that that ultimate contradiction comes up, right? If he's if God is all powerful and all knowing, why does evil exist? Yeah, of course. Yes? Exactly, yeah. Uh, gods uh, are uh, archetypes, and the real uh, journey is not to have faith in the God. The real journey is for us human beings to become God. That's what Nirvana is. That's what Moksha is. Which means we have to have that struggle within between good and evil, right? right. Uh, so therefore, evil has a purpose too. That's why it exists. If it didn't have a purpose, it won't exist. So that's the first step, right? Yeah. That it's not about us uh, showing our loyalty to an all-powerful God. That's not the that's not the core of the dharmic religions. The core of the dharmic religions is we ourselves become God over multiple lifetimes as we evolve, right? And the evolution is essentially the battle between good and evil within us, right? Yeah. That's one part. The second part is grief and suffering itself. Uh, because we don't believe that uh, the divine decides, the, the divine doesn't judge us, okay? We judge ourselves, we, or rather, we decide what happens to us, through our own karma, through our own actions, right? So, uh, suffering is seen as an opportunity for evolution. Um, in the dharmic way, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, it's believed that uh, the greatest evolution happens when your soul suffers. Uh, remember, muscles uh, grow against resistance. Right, yeah. If, if there is no resistance, your muscles atrophy, right? Yeah. So suffering actually makes your soul grow. Yeah. Uh, now, look, what is the truth? I don't know, man. We'll discover only once we die, right? Yeah, of course. But, uh, but what is the theory that can make you, uh, that can give you a sense of momentum and motivation now? Is the theory that there is an all-powerful God who will come and solve your problems for you. You just have to pray. That's one theory. Okay? Yeah. The other theory, it's all in your hands, man. And if you're suffering, it's an opportunity to evolve, toughen up and evolve, right? I find the second one more inspiring. Yes, I find it more inspiring. Again, I'm not, I'm not judging the first one. Nothing wrong with that. There are some people who find peace and comfort in that. And look, uh, Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, we pray as well. Mm -hmm. But But the core of our prayers is not for God to come and solve our problems. The core of our prayers is for the divine to give us the strength yeah. to fight what we have to fight. Exactly. We have to fight it. We are very clear. Yeah. Yeah. We have to evolve. I think that's quite, it's quite important because the, the Christian God, right, is hmm. the omniscient, omnibenevolent, omnipotent. Yeah. And then it doesn't work because how can you have all three features and there still be evil? So yeah. it's important. To I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging it. Okay. Every, every, every religion has its own strengths its own challenges. Of course. It is I find the Dharmic religions more inspiring for me. Yeah. They're, they're more they're more like practical and more mm. life 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 related. Mm. Yeah. Um, life is complex, right? Yeah. There are shades of grey. I mean 
uh, it's the way the world works. Yeah. And, and when you're, when you're writing your books, how do you reconcile historical facts, mythology and fiction? How do you get all three of them to work so well? Look, uh, I don't, I don't try and, uh, quote unquote manage it while writing. So I just make sure I have as much of the knowledge as I can possibly have before I start writing. Then post that, how it kind of comes together in a story. That's up to the blessing man. <laughs> you know, the, the ancient Greeks used to say that the muse, uh, is, uh, a goddess that exists outside of you. Uh, and your job is not to have that arrogance that I am the genius and I will create it. Your job is to help the goddess to help you. Right? Sure. Uh, so the genius always comes from outside you. You have to be, right. you have to prepare yourself right. to receive that blessing. That's the way it works. The universe will bless you. The goddess will bless you. That's, that's the ancient pagan approach in a way. So my thing is, look, I have to read as much as I can. I have to, uh, uh, for an author, experiences also enrich your mind, right? So experience as much as you can. Travel as much as I, yeah. I can, because that also helps you. And beyond that, I have to, uh, well, I have to sit in front of the laptop, right? I mean, I can't receive the blessing if I'm watching a movie <laughs> or doing yeah. something else. I have to sit in front of the laptop. Yeah. And then, well, uh, if it's supposed to come, it will come at that time. If it's not supposed to come, it won't come. I can try again the next day. Of course. And so how long do you think you spend researching and reading before you write a book? So they're not kind of separate, uh, uh, discrete processes as such. It's not that I finish research and then I start writing. They're kind of merged into each other. I'm reading and researching all the time. Uh, Whatever I do, well, every person that I meet, I, I keep observing, right? Looking for takes, looking for things which will go in the back of my mind. I try and learn every, every person you meet has something to teach you, you know, so listen and try and learn. Uh, that's what I try and do. Read as much as I can. Uh, all the time, all the time. So, and on uh, even while writing. And it's not, it's not like, um, um, I'm writing on this subject, so I will do this research. It doesn't kind of work that way. Yeah, of course. You got it's to... a bit like I just keep doing all the research that I can because I have no idea. Yeah. What will you know the end Yeah. I have no, so I mean, so uh, there's, there's a section in my second book, Secret of the Naga, a description of a, of a uh, kind of a river barricade that was inspired by something I had learned in the Corinthian Peninsula in Greece, when I traveled there eight years prior to writing that section of Secret that's of the Naga. That's amazing. And I had no idea at that time that this will go in. I was just, you know, I was, I was there. I was curious. I learned. Of course. And it remained somewhere in the back of my mind. And that was a, it was, it was a, it was a holiday, right? And yeah. then that went into the books. So you have no idea what knowledge will go where. So I just keep gathering as much as I can. Of course, and on a slightly different note, can you um, expand on your role as the minister at the High Commission of India in the UK? So I run the uh, culture and education teams out here at the High Commission of India to the UK. 
uh, which means that I uh, am director of the Nehru Center, which is our cultural center here. Uh, we have our own building in Mayfair on South Audley Street. We have an auditorium, art gallery out here. You must come. You must get your listeners uh, to come. We organize uh, over 200 events per year. Oh, cool. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Uh, yeah, across performing arts, book launches, uh, think tank events, and uh, various things. Right? And you find, uh, art of, exhibition. you find a lot of ideas through there as well? You must do. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like I said, every every person I meet, every event I attend, I, I keep getting uh, ideas and insights. And I also run the education team, which uh, which manages the affairs of Indian students who come to the UK. Um, trying to get UK universities to come to India, educational partnerships, all those things as well. Sure. Um, and in your writing, this mm-hmm. is sometimes have a modern link between your writing and India's political system. Yeah, thanks it out. So, I mean, I, I, I think a lot about social issues. Sure. So issues that trouble me uh, end up, uh, you know, kind of weaving their way into my books. So, um, you know, so uh, recently there was, uh, you know, this debate in India, uh, some, I think some 19 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, where I'm sure you must have heard of that very horrific uh, case in Delhi, where uh, uh, a young uh, lady had been, uh, yeah. had been very brutally gang raped. Yeah, of course. And uh, the uh, the main uh, criminal uh who who did that uh, crime was actually uh, uh you know uh, uh, a minor right yeah exactly. uh, we weren't even allowed to say his name at that time i recall his name was uh, because he was a minor of course i recall his name was uh, mohammed afroz or something like that uh but the uh, the law was such that uh, and he is the one who actually killed her okay yeah, but yeah. the law was such that uh, a minor cannot be punished. So the other rapists were were given the death sentence. But uh, but the minor they, was yeah. He was he just spent three years in a remand home and now he's no one knows where he is. He's free in India uh, somewhere and I don't know if he's doing a life of crime. No one knows. No, no again. Now look, that was the law, right? Now some people at that time were very angry that. Uh, uh, you know, the law should be changed. This guy should be punished. And some were saying that, no, this is, this is the law. We have to follow it. Right? Sure. So this, this debate kind of, uh, wove its way through into, uh, my book, Ram Sino Vichwaku, which released in 2015, where Lord Ram says, uh, you know, very similarly, a minor had committed a horrific crime. And he said, look, the minor cannot be, uh, uh, given the death penalty, that is the law, and the law has to be followed no matter what. Yeah. Whereas Lord Bharat, who is Lord Ram's younger brother, he says that uh, the law is supposed to serve the cause of justice. And if justice is not being served by following the law, then you should break the law. Right. Yeah. But Lord Ram's counterpoint was, if you allow that in one case, you have vigilantism. Exactly. Who decides? Where can you break the law? Where can you not? Now, this is a complex issue. I don't know what the answer is, right? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, because you can't you can't draw a line if you keep doing it like that. Yeah, yeah. But but at times, yes, the law ends up creating a more unfair society. Then what do you do? Right? What's the answer? Yeah. Uh 
that criminal could get away and commit more crimes right on on truly innocent people like that like that young woman who was, who was uh, you know uh, so uh, i this issue got you know it just it was there it was discussed through a series of incidents that happened in the book so yeah so modern stuff gets woven in and i put i don't i don't make any prescriptive uh, points i just put the different points of view and the new as a reader you know kind of make up your own mind on what you think is philosophically the right thing to do sure and when you actually finish writing the book like how do you feel do you get a sense that it the book's going to be successful like what's the feeling no man look when i'm writing i don't really care about uh, whether it'll work or not so even now i still write uh, just for myself i start thinking about uh, the marketing etc only once a book is complete uh, so during the marketing phase i get nervous because the publishers have invested so much money my books you know they they print in large quantities of course if you're printing 500000 copies or a million copies i have to make sure that it has to be sold yeah so that the publisher doesn't lose money so at that time i'll start getting nervous and yeah because that push hard and say, once the book is complete like yeah. do you, yeah. do you get a feeling do you know when it's going to be successful like you finish writing the book do you know if it's going to be like do you get a feeling uh i don't i don't kind of think uh, as much about well Luckily for me I haven't had a failure as yet. Touch wood, touch wood. Touch wood, touch wood. Yeah, but um I just all, all I think about is I got to work the uh, I have to work the hardest and smartest that I can to promote the book once it's uh, ready. While writing I don't care at all about whether it'll succeed or not. I write with the honesty of my heart. Sure. I write what feels right to me. I start thinking about marketing and whether people will like it or not only once yeah, I've completed the book. Of course. And at that time look the best way is just just focus on what you can do. I mean if you start overthinking about whether people will like it or not you will paralyze yourself. Okay so what what is it that I can do? The book is ready. I should think through marketing strategies, uh guide my, you know work with my publisher, uh promote the book well, work hard, do events that's what i can do and the rest is up to fate yeah? you sure um and what do you think your what what do you think has been your favorite book to write uh, it's a bit like asking a parent uh, <laughs> which is your favorite child so yeah the first all one them. i reckon no no all of them all of them <laughs> um and finally can you share any insights or advice for aspiring authors who want to explore mythological fiction or to create their own unique spin on ancient stories um so a few things one uh, you if you want to write on this subject I and mean, the first thing is you must read a lot okay uh uh because remember you have to make your books descriptive if you're writing a a love story set in the modern day you don't have to build up a scene right you just say for example you just say uh, a boyfriend and a girlfriend walked into a coffee shop right sure. that line is enough you as a reader you, the scene is immediately set in your mind right sure. it'll have a certain, the coffee shop will have a certain type type of decor of course uh, there will be a certain type of music overpriced coffee all that the scene is set right of you can jump straight into the conversation but if you're doing historical fiction or mythological fiction 
uh, everything has to be described right if you are in an ancient ship you as a reader will have no idea what yeah, it will be like right you have to dis- you have to read and research a lot but at the same time you have to uh, and this is a fault many writers of historical fiction make right that they want to show off they want to show off their research in their writing which makes their writing boring right so you have to you have to build the scene for the reader but make it as light touch as possible don't it it it's a common uh, mistake that happens because the writer has done so much research he wants to show off look at how much research i've done which bores the reader like let me give you an example right uh if uh, if i'm if i'm um describing a city or a river okay the terms that i use i can use the term shutudri for example which is the ancient name of river satluj right okay. using that ancient name is not going to add anything to your understanding as a reader of course right? of course i can just use the modern name right and make it easy for you yeah right? yeah uh so you don't you don't have to google ki what the hell is he talking about yeah um just simple things like that how how do you make that research come across lightly yeah how easily? how do you make um the reader because the hardest thing when you're writing mythological historical fiction is how can you make it believable for the how can the reader yeah. understand what's yeah. going on and so it has to so it's it's like a there's there's a very fine balance you have to strike because you have to do a lot of research you have to read a lot so that you are able to build the scene and build that world you are doing world building right sure but at the same time you have to make it relatable and easy enough that a reader can understand right because sure. if it becomes if it becomes a research paper if it becomes a scientific paper the reader will drop it right yeah so how do that very fine balance is critical sure that brings us to the end of this enlightening conversation with amish tripathi His ability to breathe new life into ancient stories is truly remarkable. If you haven't already, make sure to check out his latest works and dive into the world he crafts so masterfully. And thank you dear listeners for joining us for this special episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on our website omalas.podbean.com. It helps us bring more incredible guests like Amish Chaparthi to your ears. Until next time, Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Omelas podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.